Welcome to the Topeka First podcast. We are one church with several locations. Our mission is to reach our community with the message of Jesus. If you would like to give to support this podcast and the ministries of our church, please visit topekafirst.com slash giving. Enjoy the podcast. Let me, let me, give me a chance, okay? Because I know there's this stigma against therapy, counseling, when you hear words like celebrate recovery, we think of this stigma because we think it's all about addiction and it's not all about addiction. Cole, will you throw up that slide? So I just want, I just want to show you a few things here, okay? I imagine every single one of us in this room can identify with at least one of those things up there. And this is, not an, this is a short list, not exhaustive. When I was typing this out, there were four things up there that once upon a time I identified with, and it was all at the same time. And so my challenge today, you guys, is please hear me out. Please hear me out today. You'll notice up there, uh, video games, electronics. We have an electronics problem. Any parents want to agree with me that there's kind of an addiction going on with screen time? In fact, the World Health Organization is now recognizing excessive gaming um, as a gaming disorder. So in the mental health field, we are now going to see a new diagnosis uh, called the gaming disorder. The average American is in front of a screen for six hours. What are we doing? I don't know. I don't know what's on that screen. But God designed our brains in a specific way. There's a level and a rhythm in which we're supposed to take in information and rest, and we are not doing that, and it's changing the brain. We're seeing a lot of people who are now very impatient, and there's a reason for that because of what goes on in the brain. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're also thinking, okay, Becca, this is so simple for you to talk about because this is your thing. You're in mental health. Okay. I'll tell you the same thing I tell my clients. Once upon a time... I was on the other side of that couch. Once upon a time, I was the client. In fact, 2010 was the absolute worst summer of my life. It was the most painful summer of my life. Pastor Steve did two funerals for my family within two months. And I tried to hold it together on the inside. I was doing ministry, and I was trying to be me, and I put on the smile. Everything is great and wonderful, but I was screaming on the inside. And no longer could I put on the happy face. And so I encourage you today, Celebrate Recovery is not about addiction. It's not just about addiction. You guys, we are characters and a story. Jesus comes to rescue us, and I believe that our story is about restoration and recovery. And as a Christian, sometimes difficulties can be really frustrating for us. There's good and evil playing out in this world. If you don't believe me, just flip on the news. Life can be very bumpy, it can be very difficult, and it can be frustrating as a Christian. I want to turn your attention to Paul. We're going to be in Romans chapter 7, and I love what Paul writes here. Chapter 7, verse 14 because he really hits the nail on the head of why every single one of us experience. So starting in verse 14, Paul writes, So the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. For if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I am not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. 
And I know that nothing good lives in me, that it is my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? His words resonate with me so much. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human. I don't really understand myself. I don't do what is right. When I was reading this, it really jumped out at me. And one thing that stood out, I can just hear Paul saying, Lord, set me free from me. Because we are our biggest obstacles that get in the way from maturity and growth. We tell ourselves there is absolutely nothing wrong. Life is great. CR is for somebody else. It's not for me. I don't need it. We are our biggest obstacles. Sometimes we can be our biggest enemies. Set me free from me. You know, in Texas, they have this saying, big hat, no cattle. Big horse, no saddle. It's actually a country song, too, if you listen to country music. Big hat, no saddle. It's about this cowboy that has the 10-gallon hat, and he's looking the rancher look, but he ain't got no cattle. In fact, he doesn't even have a ranch. He lives in the city in a two-bedroom apartment. We are so good at putting on a front. We can look the look, but our insides do not match our outsides. I used to have this childhood friend. Mom, you know exactly who I'm going to be talking about. And he would show up at my house, and he'd always have the newest things. He'd say, hey, come check out my new bike. He gets his new bike. We play tennis all the time. Do you know who I'm talking about? We played tennis. He'd show up, new tennis rackets, new tennis bag. He had tennis shoes. You know, he had a T-shirt. He had everything that he needed to look as a professional tennis player. We flew stunt kites, okay? I had a stunt kite. I was miserable at flying a stunt kite. I always crashed it. And he'd show up with like two or three stunt kites. And he'd fly these kites, okay? Until one day, I was very jealous, until one day I asked him, hey, you want to go bowling? No, I can't. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't have five bucks. You don't have five dollars? Like at the time, I didn't understand this, but now looking back at it, I'm like, there's hundreds of dollars worth of equipment that you carry, and you don't have five bucks to go bowling? We do that. In, in our world, financially, man, we look good on the outside, but we done broke. We are broke. And I think we can apply that to our lives, too. We look good on the outside, but we're not doing so good on the inside. Stubbornness. We are stubborn creatures. In fact, our culture promotes independence. We live in a very independent culture where you can be whatever you want to be, right? You can do whatever you want to do. I just don't want to hear your stuff. Don't tell us all your problems. And there's a problem because this culture is now bleeding into the body of Christ, and now it is rare to have somebody that you know that knows all your glories and all your difficulties. And I'm not talking about, oops, I dropped my phone and cracked it difficulty. I'm talking about, hey, I, I messed up today. I really sinned, and I need to talk about it. We don't do this anymore. Here's a very scary statistic, okay? This is recently released. 90% of men 
in the church, so from East Coast to West Coast, 90% of men do not have one single best friend. One single best friend to share your glories and to share your difficulties. That's a scary statistic. When we think of groups like Celebrate Recovery, I, I think of Proverbs 11:14. There's wisdom in the counsel of many others. Friends, there's a reason why God created us for a relationship. He created us to be with people. There is nothing more therapeutic. This is going to sound cliche, but there's nothing more therapeutic than sharing your pain and your hurt with somebody else or in a group and having that person hold your pain and knowing it's not going to be in the bulletin next week. It's never happened, but I just want to make a point. It is so therapeutic to get things off of your chest and to have somebody hold that pain for you. Now, we looked at Paul. I want to back up a, several hundred years before Paul because there's another man that wrote about this exact same struggle. His name is David. And David wrote in Psalm 51, because he wrote Psalm 51 um, after he kind of did a big oopsie. He had a, a, basically committed adultery. In Psalm 51, David writes, Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion. Blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin, for I recognize my rebellion, my stubbornness. It haunts me day and night. We don't pray prayers like this anymore. We don't talk about our sins In fact, I wonder if we've become too satisfied. We're we're actually very comfortable with where we're at. We are all human, and we are all going to sin because we have a sinful nature. I am convinced that Congress can pass any law that they want, but there is no law that could be passed that will get rid of human behavior. There's no law that we can pass that's going to get rid of sin. It's just part of our human behavior. And we get so comfortable, you guys, we develop our own coping mechanisms, our own defense mechanisms to justify our behavior and why we're doing what we're doing. And for some of us, it keeps us really safe and comfy. It's like a blanket, but it also keeps you stuck. It keeps you stuck. Proverbs 32.3 says, There was a time when I wouldn't admit what a sinner I was but my dishonesty made me miserable and filled my days with frustration. I will stand here and be vulnerable and say, man, that's me. There are times where that is me. There's times where I lose my cool. I lose my temper. My goodness, having kids has taught me so much about regulating emotion. (laughs) We can all identify with that. You know, when we receive Jesus into our hearts, when you ask Jesus to come in, you invite him to be a part of your life, you pray that the salvation prayer is a beautiful thing. But Jesus gives you a free gift, and this free gift is the Holy Spirit. And there's a reason why we need the Holy Spirit, because life does not get simpler after accepting Christ. Sometimes it gets much, much harder. We think as Christians that life is going to be pretty and beautiful, and it is not. And so we get the helper, the Holy Spirit, who also has another wonderful name, wonderful counselor. A little bit louder, I'm sorry. Oh, everybody's afraid. Shout it out. 
counselor, wonderful counselor, because we need guidance. Because we have a sinful nature. Every single one of us in this room has a sinful nature, and we need guidance. Except this counselor, okay, this is a free one for you guys today. This counselor isn't with you for 55 minutes once a week. You're stuck with this counselor. He's with you when you wake up, and he's with you when you go to bed. And you need him. I don't know how many times I have called on the Holy Spirit. There's times where I am with people, and I ask the Holy Spirit, give me wisdom, give me something to say to this person, because I truly don't know what to say. So when we think of celebrate recovery, we kind of default immediately to addiction. We think drugs and alcohol, and that's not what celebrate recovery is all about. And I talked about our own stubbornness and how we can get in the way of our own maturity, our own growth. And there's a lot of other things that get in the way, but I want to I hone in on two specific things today that I feel like if you knew a little bit more about, it might kind of help you take that next step. So... I want to talk to you guys a little bit about the human brain. Is that okay if we talk a little bit about the brain? Because when you think addictions, it's not just drugs and alcohol. It can be food, it can be caffeine, it can be screens, right? So our brains, the way that they operate can get us into trouble. So here's a few things I want to teach you guys about the brain. Number one, we're wired for connection. Our health depends on having close, positive relationships. Research shows that loneliness is associated with poor health and a shorter lifespan. There is a reason why God created us for connection, for relationship, to be with people. And the enemy knows how important and valuable you are, not just to God, but to other people, because your story can be very therapeutic to share with other people. It's good to know that I'm not the only mom here that feels like throwing up their hands and I, some days I feel like I'm a terrible mom, and I've talked to other moms, and they identify with that, and it's like, oh my goodness, I thought it was just me. We're wired for connection. Our brains are wired for the familiar. There's neuropathways in our brains. They're called brain cells. Okay, every time you do something, every time you engage in a behavior, that neuropathway is formed and it's strengthened when you pick up an instrument and the more you play it. The stronger that neural pathway comes, the more you drink that coffee, the stronger that neural pathway becomes. And it can also get us into trouble because what happens is you and I, we return to those bad habits because it's what our brains know best. Our brains are looking for the familiar. Our brains are necessary for survival. The limbic system of your brain keeps you and I alive. If our ancestors did not have this, we would not be here. The limbic system in our brain is what's in charge of the fight, flight, and freeze response. When we're walking down a sidewalk and we see a stick, but before we recognize it's a stick, automatically we're on the other side of the road and we're like, what happened? Your brain thought it was a snake and it kept you alive. This is why some of us, when we get startled, we throw our hands out and we smack whoever's trying to scare us. That's your limbic system. It's responding. It keeps us alive. The fourth one, addictive Behavior changes the brain. This is where I have become a victim. Let me share you a little bit about my addiction. Fall of 2014, I start grad school. And this thing happens to me, okay? I'm reading and I'm writing and I'm tired right? I get tired, and I'm in class, and I look around, and I see people with all these delicious drinks, and I think, well, I want a delicious drink, too, 
you know, that sounds really nice. I have something to sip on while I'm listening to lecture. So I stopped by the most well-known coffee shop that I know that's close to campus. And I get me a little tall drink, just to start out, right? It's a tall. And before you know it, a couple weeks go by, and a tall is not cutting it. I need more. I'm finishing my drink even before I get to class. I'm like, well, that's a bummer. This kind of stinks. So the next thing I know, I'm in the drive-thru, and I don't even think twice about it, I order a grande. So now I've gone from a tall to a grande. Not only that, but Starbucks has made it very easy for me to become more addictive, because now they're sending me emails, and I'm getting like these little pop-up messages from my app, my Starbucks app, saying, hey, half-price drinks here and there, right? Then I get free drinks, I earn points, and they're just drawing me in, and I'm getting sucked in, and I'm a grande girl. Well, then Dave and I decide it is a really, really brilliant idea to have a baby while I'm in grad school. Don't, I don't recommend that. So I'm pregnant, and I think, okay, I gotta be really, really good, right? I cannot, I cannot drink as much caffeine as I'm drinking. So I'd like to say that I was caffeine-free during my pregnancy. I was not. I went back to the tall. I managed. I had a few talls. And then wonderful, cute little Savannah was born. If she was our firstborn, she would be an only child. She is born, right? My mom knows exactly what I'm talking about. I'm surprised she has not charged us for daycare. So Savannah comes. I'm taking care of a baby. I'm reading. I'm writing papers. And Becca is tired. I'm so tired. And before I know it, I'm getting off at my exit to go to school. And I start thinking about a mocha light whip. Oh my goodness, I really could use a mocha light whip. So I go to Starbucks and I get in the drive-thru. And I don't even think about it. I just order a Vinti. What in the world? I just passed up the grande and I went straight to the Vinti. And I'm sucking down the Vintis, right? I'm a Vinti girl now. I'm in class and I'm sucking on the Vinti. I'm writing papers. It's Vinti, 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 Vinti. All I can think about is Vinti Mocha Light Whip, and I want it so bad. Wow. Then I get into an addictions class when we learn about addictions. And Dr. Secor gives us this assignment where we have to abstain from a substance, and the substance is caffeine. Oh, Dr. Secor. So for seven weeks, we have to abstain from a substance. So I write up my proposal, here you go, Dr. Secor, I'm gonna abstain from chocolate, coffee, and tea. And I wish I could tell you I didn't relapse, but it was so hard. I think it was on day three or four when I found myself really, really like, you know, kind of tapping my foot. I got the bouncy leg. You guys ever get the bouncy leg? You know, I'm withdrawing from Starbucks coffee and it was miserable. And all I could think about was that mocha with light whip and how oh, delicious and oh, silky, it just tasted so good. And I'm drinking water and I'm grumpy because this is not a mocha, this is water and it doesn't taste anything like caffeine. And I'm having caffeine withdrawals and I'm grumpy. And I'm in class and I see people with their, their, their like sonic cups. That was another thing, I was hyper aware of other people's drinks. Sonic, Wendy's, McDonald's, any Starbucks cup, oh my goodness. Anytime I would get off at my exit, my mouth would start watering because I would want to drive to Starbucks and get a Vinci mocha, but I couldn't. I was going to be the one that was going to abstain for seven weeks. I could not. I did relapse, but I relapsed to a tall. And you'd be proud of me because I am not addicted to Starbucks anymore. 
But I did go this past week just to get my cups. But <laughs> this is how addiction, this is how addiction works. You start out small, and before you know it, you guys, you are venti. It is so simple. And this happens with our behavior. It's not just drugs and alcohol. Here's what happened in my brain. This is what happens to you and I, okay? There is this chemical in our brain known as dopamine. Okay, when we engage in, in behavior that's good, or we eat something that's good, dopamine is released in our brain. Scientists have nicknamed this chemical as the love it, gotta have it drug, which is really, like, I find it ironic because when you go to Cold Stone, the different sizes of bowls are like it, love it, gotta have it. Sugar releases dopamine. So when we engage in behavior that's good and, and, and it feels good, dopamine is released, and what happens is these little neurotransmitters, okay, they're transmitting dopamine, and you have these receptors, and dopamine gets transmitted and it meets its receptors. Well, the more you do that behavior, more dopamine is released, and you don't have enough receptors. So your brain creates more receptors, and it wants more, and it wants more and more and more. And when there's not enough dopamine being released, you get what's called a craving. Your brain is saying, hey, we need this. This behavior is necessary for survival. We need more. So when you start abstaining from whatever that behavior is, you go through what's called withdraw. And that is your brain saying to you, hey, you're not releasing enough dopamine here. What's going on? I need some more dopamine. These receptors are empty. Now, you can change the brain. That is the good news. When you withdraw from a substance, those receptors eventually go away back to a normal amount of receptors. But the way that the brain is, is, is the way God gave our, our, our brains, he rewired them for, for a reward system. And this is important because the brain's reward system can get us in trouble. When we engage in this behavior, our brain is activated. And there's parts of our brain that, that think this is necessary for survival. So when we take part in actions that are good for us, our brains adapt, and what happens when something activates this system, the brain automatically assumes it's something necessary to survival, and it wants more. Your brain has no idea you're drinking a Vinci Mocha Light Whip. It just thinks this is necessary for survival. For some people, coffee is necessary for survival. But this happens to us with behavior too, especially when we engage in coping mechanisms or defense mechanisms that we use to justify our sinful behavior. We get so used to this, and we get comfortable, and it's hard to break. It's not impossible to break that behavior. You can break it. So that's one thing that's in the way. The second thing I want to touch on, and this could be a message in itself, I want to just briefly talk about shame. Because shame is not discussed as much as I wish it was. Shame is so ugly. Shame is like glitter. It gets everywhere and you never can clean it up. You find it in places that you're like, I never even put glitter there. How did glitter get there? It gets everywhere. Shame, shame, let me tell you the difference between shame and, um, okay, self-esteem and shame. So self-esteem is what you think, shame is what you feel, okay? 
I made a mistake versus I am a mistake. I did something bad, I am bad. I am unloved. I am unworthy. Shame is a feeling. And shame is so ugly because we actually use shameful language in our culture. I hear it all the time and it makes me cringe. And we hear these, these, the, 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 these things that are said to us and eventually we start developing these core beliefs about ourselves that we are unlovable, that we are unworthy. Brene Brown does a lot of shame research. I highly recommend you check out her literature. She's got some videos. She does TED Talks. Brene Brown is her name. This is Brene Brown wrote this. Oh, I forgot to mention. This is super important. So shame, uh, shame and addiction are so highly correlated that researchers don't know which one came first. Uh, shame is also correlated with addiction, depression, bullying, suicide, eating disorders. It's powerful. So Brene Brown wrote this, an addict needs shame, because we're very good at shaming people out of their addictions. An addict needs shame like a man dying of thirst needs salt water. So imagine dying of thirst and how horrific that would be. You're so thirsty and you're standing on the beach with your feet in the ocean. And there's all this water readily accessible, but if you drink it, it will kill you faster. Shame, just like the water, is so readily available and it puts you in a dark hole and all you can use to climb out is what you know, the addictive behavior. You know, addiction, addiction comes from the Latin word addictus, which actually means slave, which I find very appropriate because sometimes we do become slave to our own behaviors because we're so used to it. So this word, it has, it has kind of a story behind it. The Latin definition gets support from a main ancient myth of a man named Addictus. And the myth tells the story of a slave who is set free from his master, but became so used to his chains that he wandered the land with his chains still attached. Even though he could remove them at any time, he left them on. I find that very appropriate because you and I have chains that we are carrying and we're so used to them that they have become invisible. Going back to Paul in Romans 7.24, in verse 24, Paul wrote, Oh, what a miserable person I am. Paul's not saying, I am miserable. He's saying, this feeling inside of me is miserable. And he goes on to say, who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Paul doesn't say what, what coping mechanism is going to help me, what defense mechanism is going to help me. He says, who will free me? Not only do we need to realize that we are just, we're human beings. We are not God. We need God. But we also need to know, friends, we need to earnestly believe that God exists, you and I matter to him, and that he has the power to help us recover. God wants to be a part of your recovery story. He wants to be a part of your story of restoration. Because you and I, believe it or not, we're going to have some speed bumps. We're going to sin. 
It's going to happen. And God wants to be a part of that story of restoration. And that is why I love groups like Celebrate Recovery because you can show up and you can be you. You can get rid of all the defense mechanisms. You can just show up and tell your story and somebody's going to honor that story. I bet you someone's going to say, I have been there. I find it interesting. We're doing a bully prevention program with um, horses. We have kindergarten for second graders that are working with horses, and we're talking about bullying. And the thing that we just finished talking about was the bystander effect. Has anybody heard of the bystander effect? Okay. When somebody is being bullied on the playground, you walk up and you stand next to them. And the more people you have standing next to them, the more intimidating it is for the person who's trying to bully them. There is a reason why we were created for connection. Even in an instance of bullying, we are supposed to come together and help that person. This can happen in programs like CR. This can happen in small groups. It should be happening in the body of Christ right now. If the band would come up, I want to end... Cole, I don't have this slide. God knows all about our situations. And if there's one person that I want to see me at my worst, I want it to be Jesus. He knows all about our situations. And I want to go back to David again. And David writes these words. I'm just going to read them. They are so beautiful. You guys listen to these words. In Psalm 139, this is what David wrote. O Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit up and sit down. You know my thoughts when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I am going to say even before I say it. Lord, you go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. Even if I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to try and hide me and the light around me to become night, but even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion. We have to use machines to see babies in mommy's bellies. God does not need a machine. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, oh God. That is so beautiful. You guys, even in our darkest moments, God has such precious thoughts about you and I. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God? They cannot be numbered. 
I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand, and when I wake up, you are still with me. I'm just going to let that soak in. We do not have to walk life alone. We are not meant to. Our stories matter. You and I are the main characters of our stories. And my question to you guys is, what does the next chapter of your story look like? What does the next chapter of your story look like? As the band leads us into a song, I want to invite you to prayer. I'm still thinking of David's words. I have you ever done that? You read the scripture and you just, there's nothing to say, but wow. If you would like prayer, I would love to pray with you. I know that there's going to be others out here available for prayer. And so I just want to encourage you. I want to encourage you guys. Do not live life alone. Please don't live life alone. Because God wants to be a part of your story.